This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome back to Culture Code. I'm super excited for our guest today because she is the Chief People Officer at Rivian, Helen Russell. Helen, welcome. And where are you joining from today? Hi, nice to meet you, Kevin. I am joining from Southern California today. What part of Southern California? I was born in Redondo Beach and I grew up in Orange County. Okay, so I am currently in Santa Barbara. So I guess some might even call that Central Coast as opposed to Southern, but I still think of it as pretty Southern. Yeah, that's a beautiful part. Now, normally I'm from a place that is is almost as beautiful, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, <laughs> which I do find some beauty and charm in Philadelphia. But uh, I'm in San Jose for the next couple of weeks. So I'm in your state. We're practically neighbors. <laughs> yeah. And as you can see, I'm just a, my accent is very much that of a local. So I fit right in. People heard Valley Girl, you know, California Valley Girl right there. I'm sure. <laughs> So Rivian, now anyone who knows the automotive industry or EV certainly knows Rivian, a lot of exciting stuff, but I'm not going to assume that for our audience. So tell us, what does your company do? Tell us a little bit about the company. Yeah, so we are definitely in the EV space. We have three products in market today. We have our commercial product, which right now we provide just to Amazon. So that's what we call our EDV. And that's our electric delivery vehicle. And you may see those out on the road, both here and in Europe, actually, with the Amazon drivers delivering that last mile through the electric truck. And then we also have two consumer vehicles. We have what we call our R1T, which is our truck, and our R1S, which is our SUV. And again, if you saw them from the front, you would think they were exactly the same vehicle. And it's only then when you're looking from the side that you see you're looking at one as a truck and one as as an SUV. Yeah, and I encourage everybody to go on the Rivian website. I mean, if anyone is not familiar, these are beautiful vehicles, uh, really beautiful. I love the SUV in particular. And I didn't realize, you just taught me about the Amazon delivery vehicles. I think I um, probably see one of your vehicles every single day outside my house at this point. Yeah, And plus, you think from an emission standpoint, I mean, you and I drive to the office, park, and then drive home. The vehicles that are doing the last mile work, they're on the road 24-7, 365 days a year. So the impact we can have by having that commercial business is really, really significant. Yeah, that's huge. Now, you told us a little bit about the vehicles. How big is the organization? Where's your headquarters? Yeah, so we purposely don't have a headquarters. We have a distributed workforce. We have our plant, which is in normal Illinois. It was formerly the Mitsubishi plant, and we took that plant over and we electrified it. We have our technology, a lot of our software engineers, autonomy engineers in Palo Alto, so in Northern California. And then we have a lot of our creatives as well as our product development organization down in Irvine in Orange County. And then we also have an office in Detroit, Michigan, which is really where a lot of our roots were, the home of of automotive where we knew we could find real density of talent when the company was first set up. And then we have offices in the UK, we have offices in the Netherlands, in Germany, and recently opened in Serbia. So slowly becoming more of of an international company. About how many employees at this point? We're at about 15,000 employees. Wow, I didn't realize you were that big, that big. You have grown incredibly fast. Incredibly fast. I often quote the, the, the main period of growth 
So we came into the year of COVID, so the beginning of 2020 with 1,000 employees. We ended 2020 with 3,500. We ended 2021 with 10,500. And we got up to 16,000 in the middle of 2022. So we went from one to 16,000 in about two years and eight months. So it was a wild ride for sure. So in any organization, talking about culture and defining culture and sustaining culture can be tricky, but you are a brand new organization that every year has more new joiners than tenured folks. So tell us a little bit, um, what is your culture like these days? How would you describe it to me or another outsider? Yeah, I would describe our culture, I'll use several words. So humble, first principled, collaborative, humanistic. And I would also throw in chaotic. I think when you've had that level of growth, we are very iterative, very innovative. And so there's a level of sort of chaos and organized chaos that also underlies all of that. Yeah. Great cultures are distinct. And I will tell you that I haven't heard anyone talk about their culture as chaotic before. So that is something very distinct. Not for everybody, right? There's something that can interviewing, you can almost put somebody off by talking about some of those elements. And I actually think the best cultures can put people off in as meaningful a way as they can attract, because then you know that you're really attracting the people that are going to thrive and survive in this environment. Yeah, 100%. It's about strong cultures will both be a magnet, but also repel those that are for it. And that's great for uh, self-selection. So how do you, boy, what a challenge when you're growing this fast. You clearly have defined, like, you know what kind of culture you want. You know what kind of people you want, the behaviors you want them to exhibit. So how do you teach the new people what these are? How do you sustain it among your more tenured folks? Yeah, and that probably was the number one question I was asked by RJ during my interview process as to how do you make sure we do this? How do we maintain the essence of who we are as we grow? And so I think the first thing you do is you make sure that you are incredibly intentional with your hiring choices. I know that sounds really obvious, but every hire that you make needs to augment the culture, needs to be someone where the team is better because they're on it. So they are a we player, not a me player. The other thing is from an onboarding standpoint, make sure that you are weaving every aspect of your culture from day one. I go to the new hire onboarding and orientation every Monday, and I talk about culture. We also have RJR CEO who comes to and meets with the new hires every month, and we call that session Zoom Out with RJ. He doesn't talk about product. He doesn't talk about strategy and objectives. He talks about culture. And so we are weaving this through everything. We have quarterly conversations that we call Recharge. And we call them recharge because you're supposed to feel that after you've had it, recharged. Not miserable or depressed, but recharged by that conversation. And those recharge conversations, Kevin, focuses much on the how, the elements of how you're living our culture and maybe areas where you can modify as they focus on the what. And then the other thing is, from an all-hands perspective, we have a bi-weekly all-hands that RJ attends. And there isn't an all hands that's happened to this day. And I've been here coming up for four years where elements of our culture are not woven through that biweekly all hands. And so it is through everything that we do. You see me scribbling so many notes. I'm often asked, 
how often companies should do all hands meetings, how often companies should do employee voice surveys and things. And I always say there's not one right answer, but it's based on the speed of the growth of the organization. So you could have a large, sleepy organization with 50,000 employees that really doesn't change that much. And you probably don't need to run that many surveys, do that many all hands. On the other hand, when you've got hyper growth and you realize how many new people are in the organization this month, this quarter, in the previous year, you need to be, you your pace of communication needs to keep up. Yeah. So, but it's not easy to do, right? Like those all hands every two weeks, that's a lot of work. It's a lot. It's a lot. And the other thing I would add to that, I would say I violently agree and in founder-led cultures or in founder-led companies, the culture is so defined or more profoundly defined by the founder. And so making sure that that founder is accessible, familial to all employees. And when you have such a distributed workforce and you have people on the line, the medium of Zoom where the intimacy of having his face on that small screen actually brings his personality and the cultural aspects that are important to him feel a lot closer and proximate, irrespective of where you reside in the organization. That's a good point. Now, I'm really passionate people who know me, I'm really passionate about leadership development, especially frontline leader development. The research shows that 70% of the variance in engagement is actually tied back to the manager. So you could join a really great company, but if you're reporting to a weaker manager, your engagement's gonna fall. And it's tough to develop managers in any organization. Everyone says they wanna grow and develop, but they're always too busy and all this kind of stuff. Again, you've got this incredible growth going on in a, positively chaotic environment. What are you doing to develop or support your frontline leaders? Yeah, I think so. I'll answer that in a few ways, Kevin. I think I could sit here and give you a bog standard answer of what everybody else is doing in the manager training space, which is interesting, but sort of uninteresting. But there's a few other things that I want to speak to. First of all, the assumption that most organizational hierarchies are built in a way that the way you grow and develop your career is through a management path, Hmm. not through an individual contributor path. And so it's really important. And we did this from the outset. We built our management hierarchy and our job architecture in a way that you can grow just as successfully as an individual contributor as you can as a people manager. So that then prevents you from putting that fantastic individual contributor who's going to be a pretty horrible manager or who genuinely doesn't even want to be a manager. It allows you to grow and develop them without putting them in an area and a position that is outside of their comfort zone and is not giving of the best to review. So that's the first thing, fundamental thing. The second thing is that from a people management role, this job gets harder every single day. And think about the complexity that we're throwing. I mean, we've talked about the complexity of being an HR leader over the course of the last several years with everything from COVID and George Floyd and financial crises and all of the things and remote work that it's put on our lap. People managers are also dealing with those same complexities every single day. And so one of our biggest focus areas is to say, when we ask our people managers to do something, How do we ask them and how do we design that in the simplistic, most simplistic way? So how do you try and take the pain out of the process? So for example, you heard me talk about recharge, our quarterly recharge conversation. 
when you zoom out and you talk about what is the essence of performance management, it's to make sure that at the end of any performance period, and let's call it quarterly, that you have a really good sense of how are you doing? What do you need me to focus on? And is there anything that you need me to modify? That's it. And that doesn't need to be anything more than a conversation. Now, what was interesting was our managers that came to us and said, can you give us a system for us to document some of these things? And we were like, we were trying to make this a light and load. And we got, I've never had people come to me and say, can you give us more to do? And so I think they may be regretting that now. And we're probably <laughs> going to revert back to more of the conversation. But how do you make their work as light as possible? And how do you assume that they know what they're doing? And one of RJ is saying is indexed to the highest common denominator. Don't design a performance management process assuming that everybody's going to fail. Design a performance management process that assumes that all that has a fundamental belief that everybody can learn and grow. And that's how we've really come at, at that role. I love this, that phrase, index the highest common denominator. I, my last leadership book was called Great Leaders Have No Rules. It should have been called Great Leaders Make No Rules. And it was just this idea that organizations will often make rules because, you know, one knucklehead out of a hundred did something wrong. So now yeah. we've got to, instead of addressing the individual yes. or giving feedback, there's now a rule, a policy, a system, and they never work. And they bring, you know, the downside along with the upside. But anyway, so, you know, this idea of then keeping simple, these conversations that include expectations, you know, what do you want me to do and feedback. And I can't tell you how, even today I had interviews with chief people officers who talk about, we're trying to drive a culture of feedback, you know, really trying to get people to give more feedback. And the idea that you're like saying, look, we're going to do these recharge meetings where it's baked in, like this is the cadence and you're going to get it. It would be pretty rare then, as long as these conversations are happening for people to say, I don't get feedback from my manager. Well, you're getting it at least every, <laughs> every quarter, exactly. right? Exactly. And we're not going to boost that. What we do instead is we do our surveys quarterly and say, did it happen? We're going to trust you did it but we're just going to verify, trust and verify. Yeah. The other thing I will say is that I feel like we have spent, I've spent 20 years figuring out how to make you manager better and more equipped at giving feedback. We've never focused on how to make you employee more equipped at receiving it. Mm. And I think in a world where we were all incredible at asking and receiving feedback, the notion of giving feedback would be very, very different. And you think about those conversations that you dread and those that you don't mind. The difference between a feedback conversation that you dread and you don't mind is how you anticipate your message will be received. It's not on your ability to do it. It's on how that message will be received. And so I think there's an unlock there somewhere. I don't have the answer, but we're trying to sort of figure out how do we get the unlock there. Well, I'm glad you're 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 working on that answer. I mean, this I have a physical response to what you just said, because so one of my greatest weaknesses when I was in my 20s as a manager, young and dumb, maybe even early 30s. So personality wise on the big five factor, I'm very high in agreeableness. So, hey, it's great. I get along with everybody. I, you know, uh, I keep the peace, all this kind of stuff. But it means I avoid conflict. So for years, I would withhold feedback. You know, when you're highly agreeable, you withhold feedback. Oh, I don't want to hurt Helen's feelings. Oh, I don't want to cause a fight with Helen. Oh, it's going to be, you know. And all this time, I wasn't protecting your feelings. I was protecting my feelings. Yes, and it was with yourself. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And then later, I realized that 
you know, my team members didn't, they don't need another friend. They need someone who's going to make them better in their role so that they can move on to a bigger role. They need a coach. They are disengaged if I don't give them feedback. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm such a jerk. Like I've been withholding feedback and like stunting people. And they were like, how come Kevin doesn't tell me anything? Like it is, does he even care? And it like a light bulb went off. Now it doesn't mean I love giving feedback, right? But now that I understand it in the right context and I've grown myself where I'm less triggered when I get feedback myself and then it comes together. So there's a lot there to unpack. And again, knowing that more people than not struggle in a world where I came to you and said, Kevin, if there was one thing I could have modified in the meeting we just had today, what would it have been? By God, is that an easier message to now deliver to me than having that build up? And you talked to me at the end of the year. I mean, you're never going to refer back to that meeting again. Whereas if I was inviting it all of the time and using words like modify that don't feel bruising, then it makes that conversation so much easier. My gosh, we could go on for a long time. But let me elevate the feedback conversation to feedback, like employee voice stuff. So, you know, again, how critical is it when you're growing as as fast as you are? Like things have, I don't mean this in a negative way, but I've been part of fast growing organizations as well. If you're growing that fast, things are broken. Things are always broken. There's always things to do, right? So you have to be on top of what is what is working? How are people feeling? And where can we be doing better? So tell us about kind of your employee listening, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And a bit like your comment earlier, Kevin, the frequency of our surveys has run concurrent with the pace of growth. So if you wind the clock back two years ago, it was quarterly surveys. Last year, we did three. This year, we'll do two. And we feel like we've got to the right cadence for where we are today with biannual surveys. And they go in January. And we've just closed the back half survey that just completed at the end of July. And we're running the data right now. We then take those surveys and then we dive into focus groups and dive deeper for a click down more of information. And obviously, we serve that data up to any manager with more than five respondents. So obviously we're protecting the confidentiality of whomever has completed the survey. And then we also do pulse surveys, whether it's a pulse survey post a learning session, a post survey, we do pulse surveys after an all hands to make sure that even our communications are hitting the mark. So we are constantly hunting for information on everything that we're doing and looking for trends and correlations in what that information is telling us. And again, interesting thing coming out of our last survey was when we looked at well-being, we looked at belonging, and we looked at, what was our third item? Well-being and belonging were the two biggest correlators. But what we found was that if you were answering positively to, I have, I feel like Rivian cares about my well-being, and you were answering positively to, I feel like this is a place where I belong, you had a 35% lift in your level of engagement. So we also know that the areas where we can go deep because it's going to have a significant impact on engagement. I love it. I love it. You've already, Helen, talked about so many cool programs, but related to culture, are there, is there a specific initiative, a specific program that you're especially proud over that you want to want to spotlight for us? I don't know whether it's like a program, but what, what I would say, and I was talking to Ben Putzman, who leads our learning team about this a couple of days ago, and we were talking about in previous lives where we had our core values printed on our badge or printed on a mouse mat or on a you know poster on the back of the toilet door. 
And they were the environments where it wasn't part of the ether. And so you had to postcard and promote it using these very sort of tactile ways of, of exhibiting. We have none of that, none of that. And that's because our values are our vocabulary. We mm. use our values as verbs. So zoom out is one of our values. And that's obviously all about perspective. Ask why, stay open, also two values. And I can't tell you how many meetings you're in when somebody will caveat what they're about to say by opening up and saying, I just need you to stay open while I talk through this. Or can we just zoom out and make sure that we're solving for this at the Rivian level? We're not solving for this at the functional level. And so this is vocabulary that's just in our way of working. And I would say that is unique. And I haven't experienced that in my career before I came to Rivian. I love that. Values as verbs. I mean, when, when people are expressing your organizational values in the everyday flow of work, you know you're, you're doing it right. You know that they're sticking. Yeah, they're sticking. Yeah, absolutely. Helen, this is a, a short format podcast. We only have a few minutes, but I wanted to hit you with a couple of fun questions. Imagine you could send a, a book or it could even be a movie or anything to every one of your colleagues and they were guaranteed to read it. Which book or other media thing might you send them? Yeah, it's so hard a question. <laughs> so hard. But given our earlier conversation and the fact that this directly links, I would send Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Fantastic. One of my top books for leadership development, soft skills. Yeah. So good, right? And culture. And culture, because I think that talks to where your culture resides, not just the type of person that you are and how you give feedback. She told me, you know, she developed Apple's first manager training program and Radical Candor the feedback was the main course. And I said, you know, how much, like, was that one fifth? Was that one hour out of four? Like, how much was it? And she said, Kevin, that was like 80%. And if I had it my way, it would have been a hundred percent. You get that right. Everything else takes care yeah, of it. Everything else works. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. The only other thing that I would recommend, and it's an old TED talk, it's from 2006, but there's a TED talk by Sir Ken Robinson and it's called mm. Schools Kill Creativity. And it talks about that creativity is all about original ideas that add value and the, the sort of richness of human capacity. And I think in a company that's very first principle like ours, and his podcast is how our education system stifles the way that we learn. And I would say that our corporate cultures can stifle the way that we work. And so how do we think about creativity, bringing your skills and leaving your experiences at the door so that you can bring this real first principled way of thinking to work every day? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you lead into this next question. Maybe it's a similar answer. Given where Rivian is today and, and what you're faced in the, in the year ahead, Imagine I give you a magic wand, you wave it, and all of your colleagues get better at a particular skill or behavior. Like, how would you cast your spell? What are they going to get better at? They would be better at two things. They would be better at receiving feedback, obvious. And the second thing that they would really develop their level of humility. Mm. Because to be humble allows you to be open, to be collaborative, to be curious to zoom out, to do all of the things that we need you to do requires you to leave your ego at the door. And I'm going to quote Mitch Brown. He is one of our directors on the line at the plant. And we did a, a deep dive into sort of his family life yesterday. We like to do these spotlights on our employees. 
And he used a quote in there that his favorite line is, I never learned anything while I was talking. And I just <laughs> love it. I love it because it's just like, how do you just leave you, your ego at the door and just be in listening mode and questioning mode, inquiry versus advocacy. And that's something that I wish everybody was so much better at. Rivian has a lot of exciting things going on right now. Just had a uh, an investor update where all the news was positive and uh, uh, productivity and production is increasing, I should say. What's most exciting to you right now about the company? Yeah, I think the exciting thing is the things that we can't talk about, of course, <laughs> which are the products that are coming down the line. And again, if you think of the products that we have on the road right now, and I mean our consumer products, they are absolutely stunning and beautiful, but they're also not affordable for all. Mm. And so what's coming down the pipe certainly allows us to broaden the ability for others to come into the brand and to experience our product. And so, you know, you walk into our design studio right now and your chin is on the floor um, looking at some of the things that are coming down the pipe. And so that's what I'm definitely most excited about right now. Is it still a secret as to when uh, the rest of us are going to get a glimpse of that future? Yes, yes. <laughs> Maybe sometime early next year-ish. Okay, so we, that's won't, what we, we won't hold you to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Helen, um, congratulations on uh, all the success and thanks for the impact the company is making. And congrats on, I mean, you've got, uh, as they say, you know, a tiger by the tail and shaping the culture. It's got to be an incredible challenge, but it's such important work. So thank you for that work. and. Thanks for coming on on a Friday afternoon with some of your time to share your wisdom. Yeah, thank you so much, Kevin. Really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org.